Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Okay, welcome to the official launch episode of The Mentalist. Today we have a live recording in front of a live audience here at Melbourne Business School. We're capturing the podcast, we're capturing video, we're capturing photos, also birthing out three Mentalist products which you can jump online and have a look at at www.mentalist.com.au forward slash store. There's a real sense of fun and excitement and adventure in the room and our speaker today or guest interviewee is Brad Smith. So Brad's an absolute inspiration, a Tasmanian treasure, and listen in, it doesn't take long to work out why he was the most booked public speaker in Australia last year. So a big thank you to you for tuning into the show. Thanks for those that attended the live event. Enjoy today's show. Brad, welcome to the Mentor List. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you guys for having me as well. I appreciate it. My pleasure, my pleasure. So if you Google Brad Smith's name, you'll see that he comes up on Wikipedia. And, you know, if you're in Wikipedia, you're definitely someone you want to talk to and definitely, like, that's got to be like a big tick in the box of made it. So, But some other things I'll just introduce Brad and then I'll sort of ask him to tell us his story. So he's a super light motocross champion, two times young entrepreneur of the year, four times retail business of the year. He's on the advisory board of the Reserve Bank of Australia. He has launched this company called Brap Motorcycles, which maybe you've heard of, which is now in seven countries and it's essentially a motocross equivalent of a surf store. Surf store? Is that why I said that right? <laughs> It'll take that. So, so the way I got on to Brad and the way I got him here tonight, it's a bit of background there. My wife was studying interior design and that was through NMIT. So they had a graduation ceremony down in Melbourne Town Hall and Brad was actually the guest speaker and it was a really inspirational story which really resonated with me and something that I, I remembered. Also picked up a copy of his book, Derb It Up, which I was fortunate to read on holiday when I was in a sleepy town called Russell in New Zealand and I'm pinging from the ceiling thinking of ideas and getting all this inspiration. And also was at a Tony Robbins conference probably a couple months ago, which was up in Sydney and saw Brad's face in one of the platinum magazines. And I thought to myself, geez, he'd be good to have on a podcast. And so that was sort of the LinkedIn message. Hey, Brad, do you want to do a podcast? And then followed up with, hey, let's do a live one. (laughs) And he said, yes. So so here we are. And so that's sort of how we got here. So Brad, do you want to share with the guys here, I guess, you know, the story of of how you've become so achieved and so accomplished. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks for the intro. And it is pretty cool how we got here because I don't normally do this kind of stuff and especially to do a live one and come down. So everything just kind of lined up and it, yeah, I like what you're up to. I think it's cool and I think it's great to share people's stories and I'll be a subscriber. So yeah, appreciate you having me on. But you know, I really started 12 years ago now as you know a young teenager. I grew up racing motocross and that was my passion and I still love motorcycling. But you now as a young guy racing, I was... You know, my sport was everything. Everything I learned growing up somehow related back to the sport and racing and motocross. And, you know, I'm blessed to come from an awesome family. My mum and dad certainly weren't rich, that's for sure. But, mum's um, here. Yeah, mum's here tonight. Hi, mum. <laughs> <laughs> Looking after me and making sure I'm on time. <laughs> but, you know, mum and dad weren't rich at all, but they 
worked their butts off and made sure my sister and I never missed out. And, you know, we didn't. We had a great upbringing, but I raced an expensive sport. You know, I was so inspired by my parents, how they made sure that my sister and I never missed out somehow, but always so aware of how much pressure my sport put on the family, you know, especially financially. So from about the age of 11, 12, 13 was you know, had this awareness. And then, you know, mum's amazing. She just talked so many words of life and words of growth into us as young people. Like on the way to school every day, we'd listen to Tony Robbins. <laughs> at 13, we hated it. And at 18, we'd ask for the tapes. <laughs> and we'd read Rich Dad Poured Out of a Night. And, you know, mum would just plant all these seeds in my sister and I on that we can create and grow into the people we want to become. And I just got so curious. And I remember going to our first interstate race. You know, mum said we're going to go on our first you know, family holiday. We're going to go to, to New South Wales and load up our little white Ford Econovan and take the boat across from Lon- from Tasmania to Melbourne and drive up to Sydney and you know have this adventure. And I got an opportunity to race while we're on it. And the turning point for me, the thing that really sparked all this journey was that I remember arriving at this race and there's 800 kids. So you can imagine how many people and bikes and you know, it's a, it's a big place when you come from, you know, Launceston and we drive our little white Ford Econovan in and we get parked next to a kid who's got a semi-truck. <laughs> you know, six brand new bikes, got a mechanic, he's got a chef, like a nutritionist, you know, he's got a coach. And I just remember being so curious about how did these people have what they have and not seem to be under anywhere near the pressure that our family was, yet my parents and our family couldn't physically work an extra hour in the week and we only just got there and just got curious. So yeah. that was kind of the seed. Wow. Okay, so it must be pretty intimidating, you know, rolling up and, yeah, there's a big trailer of family wealth just next to you and that's sort of what you're up against. But you did achieve sort of success in that in that motorcycle arena. So how did you sort of deal with competing against, you know, people that had almost an advantage? Yeah, I mean, uh, at that time in your life, you feel like motocross is everything, and I suppose it is. But looking back, it was a great way to learn a lot of lessons. I mean, it's just sport. It's just fun. But, you know, it was pretty competitive and it was expensive. So we always treated it professionally and deliberately and, you know, I trained, I focused, I had goals. We had to be disciplined and, and prepared. So for me, it was a great lesson and place to learn how to be an underdog and then to grow up in Tasmania where you're a big fish in a small pond and then to come to the mainland and get your butt kicked (laughs) it was you know another great lesson that you got to learn and everything I learned from racing is all the same stuff you got to learn to be good at business like I had to learn to manage my emotions. I had to learn to get focused. I had to build a vision and, you know, all the same elements of growth that you need to get good at business. Okay, so you talked about being the underdog. So your competitors here in Melbourne or, you know, worldwide, who who are they now against Brat? Yeah, we're growing into and we see ourselves as the challenger brand. Like the whole reason we have an opportunity to exist is to stick it to the big guys. And we are, we're causing them a lot of trouble and uh, um, that means they're causing us a lot of trouble too. And we seriously are the underdog. We fight against Honda, Yamaha, you know, all these major, you know, corporations that have significantly deeper pockets than us. And, you know, you guys all know those brands and you might not have seen or heard of my brand before. So, you know, we've got to find niches that we can you know, stick it to them. And we've got to be able to out-service them, out-warranty them, out-price them, out-spec them, out-love our customer. Like we've got to try and find niches that we can beat them. And the more we can do that, the, the more we can grow. Yeah. And so you're in seven countries now. 
But I, I just wanted to take maybe a, a step back. Yeah, okay, so we're competing against, you know, the kids and the families that have got the big trailers and obviously a bit of financial advantage there. So what's, what's sort of going on next? Because, you know, you're riding bikes and you're, you're, you're doing it as a family and at some point, you're obviously now selling what two thousand bikes a year, or so. Talk us through, you know, what happened. Yeah, well, back to that story where we got to the nationals in Sydney, and you know, I just got so curious and and asked Mum a million questions about how did they have what they have, you know, and and we worked our butts off and didn't really. And Mum said that you know, there's one lesson, and these people didn't have what they have because they worked harder than us. They had it because they worked smarter than us. And you know, I just got so dedicated to working harder at getting smarter. Like I wanted to learn what I needed to learn in order to become the person that you know I wanted to become and started just looking for opportunity. And I finally found this opportunity I thought was a niche in motorcycling that I could turn my passion for motorcycling into my business and pathway and platform and you know, saved up my money by mowing lawns and pushing trolleys and wobbling signs for Domino's pizza and just, you know, selling graphics calculators to the kids at school with the answers to the maths test already programmed into them. (laughs) You know, just whatever I could to save some money up and finally found this bike, like this new niche. I thought if we can make this thing affordable, competitive and, you know, a, a platform, a product, we can really have a crack at making our whole sport more affordable and more accessible. You know, I found this factory that were in China and the owner promised me he could build this bike that we'd found and yes, sent the money I'd spent four years saving up and sent it across to the other side of the world to this Chinese man that I couldn't pronounce his name or his company. <laughs> Waited for 10 weeks for my first 10 bikes to arrive and I remember that day, like that's an exciting day, like the bikes got here, we could get started and you know, my, my vision or idea was to, and my mission was to help young people to get a clean adrenaline rush through our sport, you know, through motorcycling. So we had tracks, you know, mapped out, events planned, coaches trained, you know, we just needed some bikes and couldn't wait to get started. So these bikes finally turned up and I've got 10 bikes all lined up at our family home because course they didn't have a warehouse or anything i had to get the the truck driver to drop them off at our residential address and remember opening up the boxes and looking in and seeing the wrong bikes like Uh, i'd been ripped off like the 10 bikes turned up were so was this because i remember you talking about how hard it was to secure i guess a supplier in china is this following on from that 10 or was that in the lead up to get that guy who couldn't pronounce his name to build out those well it really sparked it like it fueled it really like i got these bikes i you know it took me a year to find the right home and the right owner so i lost my money i lost a year i mean i'm a 16 year old kid so i had to you know really make a decision and and my decision was that if this is going to be real and if i'm really going to chase this down then i need to get my butt on a plane and i need to go to china and meet the factories face to face and find someone who believes in my vision and find someone who can build this bike for me and I did I saved up and the day I turned 18 booked the ticket to China (laughs) you know I was so naive never been outside of Tasmania without mum or dad (laughs) never been outside of Australia ever and yeah certainly couldn't speak Chinese and I thought she'll be right I'll organize my accommodation and you know everything locally interpreter and stuff once I get there and I remember I got to Hong Kong airport and still pretty western like brands you've seen people speak a bit of english but uh, i had to catch a bus and a train of three and a half hours inland to southern you know regional china i remember getting off this bus and realizing the world's biggest trade fair was being held so two million people were going through town the same week i was there so you know there's no interpreters and there was no accommodation left and you know way outside my comfort zone (laughs) so where are you staying where are you sleeping (laughs) well i realized that i'm the only 
you know, kid or Western kid. I got a peroxide blonde mullet and I don't speak any Chinese. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't sure at this point. But, you know, it's, you've been very guided this whole journey. And I found this man who said that he'd act as my interpreter and he spoke okay English. And I'm sure he spoke Chinese. And he promised he'd take me to wherever I needed to go. And I was there for two weeks. So I said, you know, let's fit in as many as we can. Like, let's just go and find all the factories and we're going to go to all of them. We're going to spend the first 13 days just looking at factories. Then the last day, like the 14th day, we're going to go back and choose to do business with the best one. Like, right. we've got to, we just got to find who the best is and we'll, we'll choose them. And yeah. I remember walking into my first factory and like, I had no idea what a motorcycle manufacturing plant would look like but you know the vision certainly wasn't what i turned up to a four-story factory yeah. produced sixteen thousand bikes a month you know crazy had to go to the top floor met the owner and he had about six staff in his office assistants just to get anything that needed to be done and he had a, a marble desk that was about probably 12 foot and he put his hand out to shake my hand and i couldn't see fingers for all the gold rings like and wow. here i am in my hooded jumper and i shared with this man my vision about the bike and the componentry the frame the suspension the wheels you know everything about this bike but most importantly spoke about the concept on we weren't just trying to build a bike for motorcyclists we were trying to build a motorcycle to create new motorcyclists you know a new concept and at the end of it he stood up and he said something in Chinese my interpreter said he goes he loves it he goes how much money do you have to invest <laughs> and of course I had no money <laughs> so he goes you got no money so what's your engineering experience you know how are you going to engineer the motorcycle and of course at 18 I had no engineering experience and he goes you got no money you got no engineering experience so you know what's your distribution channel how can you guarantee to me and my factory that this is a worthwhile investment for us and i had no freaking idea what a distribution channel really was <laughs> so he laughed me out of the office and you know the second the third the fourth the fifth the sixth factory all laughed me out of the office and you know they told me similar stuff like i'm too young i'm naive i don't have the money don't understand motorcycling don't understand manufacturing don't understand china like you know i heard it all kind of thing by then and you really start to question yourself and you know, i thought like i could just go home and people would understand like people would understand have been there put everything on the line i've stretched myself and stepped way outside my comfort zone and you know it just didn't work out and i thought i didn't come to china to go home and you know people understand i thought i'm going for it and i said to my interpreter how many factories you know have the tooling that we need and he goes there's 800 probably it's like far out I said, well, we're not going home until 801 of them have laughed us out of the office. And my interpreter agreed and he got yeah, really, really good, good at saying next, next factory. factory. <laughs> <laughs> so he did speak English. <laughs> so how many factories did you actually get rejected or laughed out of? Well, like, you know, the 10th, the 20th, the 30th, the 40th, the 50th factory, like I counted 50 <laughs> and they all similar stuff. Like they're not willing to take a risk on an 18 year old kid who's got no money, no engineering experience, no idea how he's going to sell them. And, and really an 18-year-old kid who's so naive that he's got no idea how much it costs to actually build a bike. And, you know, to give you guys an example, the, you know, just for the tank mold on one of the bikes that we'll show you guys later, just for the tank molds, $50,000, let alone the chassis, the wheels, the guards, you know, all the things that make a bike a bike. So what, it's $50,000 to get it set up so that you can create it. So you can mass produce, yeah, so... Yeah, so it's obviously so it a lot of more components, components than just one. Yeah, yeah it could cost yeah. 500000 to a million to 
get ready to build a bike. And I was pitching, we'd build seven different ones straight away. <laughs> but, you know, thank God we stuck to it because I finally ran into some people who did believe in my vision. And yeah, they believed in me. They took a risk on me. They built our bike and I had to make a promise on how many I could sell. And I made that promise and I had to go and work. I had to fulfill that promise. <laughs> and here we are like 11 years later. Okay. So I guess the next time that you got a crate from China, it was a different experience uh, to, you know, that one when you were 16. Well, it was significantly different. And, and, you know, now we have 35 staff here locally. And, you know, when after that first proper container started, very similar to where we are now in that we design and develop locally like we have our engineering mostly in Tasmania and here in Victoria we build the molds and jigs as locally as possible then the Aussie engineers move them to the assembly plant and that's in Xiaomen in China and the Aussie guys lead the team there we have up to 150 staff on the tools there and you know we do our own quality control our own assembly it's our molds like it's us so you know that's how we offer lifetime warranty and can use Australian engineering standards and R&D and innovation but leverage, you know, global manufacturing efficiencies. And that's where we're at at the moment. And we're now moving a lot of that home as well. Yeah, you're, I was uh, listening into one of your interviews and, and they were talking about that. Do you want to talk us through, you know, how your business model shifting and what the thinking is behind that? Yeah, well, like I said at the start, we're a challenger brand. Like we have to stick it to the big guys, any, you know, corner we can kind of thing. And we love the Australian brand. Our vision has always been to build our bikes in Tasmania fully and we'll get there. But, you know, that's a challenge. So our next step of that is we just innovated our new electric motorcycle we're really proud of. We believe, well, statistically, it's the best electric motorcycle in the world, 165 kilometers an hour top speed. At the moment, we can tell you 200k range, but through the flexible solar panel technology we've developed with the CSIRO, we have a solar paneled fairing and we think we'll be able to get 300k's out of the thing. And at a price that's half of what the American electric bikes are at the moment. So we're really passionate about this and we think it's a great opportunity to drive the Victorian automotive industry and we've made a pledge that we'll fully assemble them locally here that's part of the pitch it's yep. we'll achieve AANZ certificate of origin which is legitimately an Australian fully you know built motorcycle in line with the accreditation yeah just thinking about an electric bike does that mean it's a Brup Motorbikes, the name was done after the noise of a bike yeah. an electric bike what sort of noise do you get with that how does the brand sound again Brup. 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 So the more A's, the more excited. So, so Brup. Brup. <laughs> so we'll probably have to change our name. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> no, nah, I think it's a good story. Cool. Okay. Well, I look forward to them coming out. So are these bikes that we can ride on the road or are these off-road? They will be. That's We think the opportunity for the street legal commuter slash sports road bike is a big opportunity. You know, the UK market just released a 2,400 euro rebate on electric motorcycles, which on an $8,000 bike is a lot of money the u.s has got rebates australia doesn't yet but you know we'll push them and see what we can do okay so i might just get into some of the the typical mentalist (laughs) questions and maybe we can talk about you know some advice you'd have for yourself or maybe if there's some challenges you've you've gone through you want to share with the guys here and the listeners yeah i mean like advice for self like it's i suppose the room here is aspirational people and that's all of us and that's a real challenge and it's a difficult seesaw to ride because everyone here has everything they need like you know we have everything here in australia but no one has everything they want and that's a real big challenge when you're chasing aspiration and growth and i think if i could just go back and tell myself to just 
rest and trust in my labor. I love that thought and that theory of just trusting that what you've done is enough. I think that would be my my biggest advice to myself, just power in being peaceful because yep. I've been the guy that's tried to, you know, learn all the tricks to sleep four hours a night and, you know, just charge it and charge it and charge it. And um, <laughs> you can do it for a period of time and it's yeah. maybe you need to sometimes, but I think there's so much power in just trusting in your labor and believing you've done enough and having faith that what you're doing is you know you're meant to be doing yeah so tell me more about you know you've sparked my interest there four hours a night so that's that's a pb out of the mentors that i've oh really far out um, how what are you doing to get yourself to is that sort of sustainable is that well i'll put an asterisk on it because i think it's a challenge in this achiever world we all wear a badge of honor about how hard we can work and it's dangerous i think you know i've been the guy who when i first left school i traded the stock market us options so you're up all night and i wanted to build my business as well because i was passionate about it and that means you don't sleep much and i think you can do it you could do it but is it worth it i don't know (laughs) i don't do that anymore but it's possible for sure yeah did you have much success in trading the options you know, when you're at nighttime? Or? <laughs> well, you know, I started being interested in this trading thing at like 12 or 13, 14, and mum took me along to a heap of courses and I started paper trading for a year or so. And, you know, I come from an extremely conservative family. Like my parents grew up in a really poor area. Mum had seven brothers and sisters, there's eight of them. And, you know, they were really poor. And when mum and dad got married they moved across the river and then when they had me they decided i'm never going back and they saved up they bought their block of land they built their shed well i lived in a caravan lived in the shed where they built the first story lived in the first story the you know they built their house with themselves and they've had it they've been together since i was 16 and had this plan and i think it's so inspiring that my mum trusted her 15 year old son enough to go and mortgage the family home so he could trade the share market unsupervised <laughs> <laughs> and yeah she's mad <laughs> Wow, thanks, Mum. <laughs> but how inspiring the faith that Mum put in me kind of thing. I think that, like, wow. And, yeah, I did all right. But at one point, so I was trading, like, leverage options, so unsecured, naked yeah. options, which meant that at one point I was so far upside down that could have got margin called at any minute for more than the family home was worth. And I remember telling Mum, and she's like, I believe in you, I trust you, think you can roll it out. So let's just not tell Dad yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we let that one ride for a few weeks and yeah thank god we (laughs) we traded out of it and then got a bit more conservative and and yeah mum and dad still have their home (laughs) okay so you mentioned before about managing your emotions it was in you know both in business and motocross do you want to just talk through what sort of things you're doing from a practical sense to do that? Well, I think, you know, it depends on the listener. Like, again, this the audience feels like it's an aspirational crowd. And I think that entrepreneurialism doesn't need to mean that it's you're the front of the business. You can be entrepreneurial within someone else's organization. I don't think the platform matters. It's the thought pattern and that aspirational sort of mindset that is rewarding and also risky like it's it's challenging and it's hard it'd be so much easier to have a conservative job and just be comfortable and everyone in this room has the ability to do that but for some reason we're mad enough to believe in ourselves and chase something bigger so for me it's just it's been one heck of a ride. I think that you got to have so many tools inside yourself to be able to manage your emotions because you're going to get beat up. You're going to get your butt kicked and no one has it easy that's creating it great. So there's probably three areas or three things that or three fundamental sort of thought patterns that I've had. I think number one like motion creates emotion. Like I couldn't tell you the number of times that we've got up at 4am in the morning and just gone for a walk because just 
getting beat up so bad and don't can't see the end of it and you know i think that motion creates emotion you can't possibly feel depressed if you're moving and i think that's such a powerful thing and i think it's also important to acknowledge that everyone's going to feel those thoughts so you're not alone you don't need the doctor you need to get yourself into gear and when you're losing it sucks like no one's going to enjoy getting their butt kicked so that's number one like take care of your physical self number two you know kind of on the fly here but i think i you know i learned meditation and transcendental meditation and i think that's so powerful to rest yourself and just rest the mind and open your spirit and open your heart and open everything up really reset i think it's so powerful i wish i had learned it a lot longer and you know number three is just trusting god's plan for you like i think that no one gets put on them challenges bigger than what they can handle you know wisdom comes at a cost you can't get that for free and i think that the more we acknowledge that we got to get that wisdom whatever the cost and that we probably are guided and we have a plan and we trust that i think the more peace we have in how we go about our day and our work and that's probably yeah no and so i imagine you know those tactics have come in really handy of late so you know where and you've mentioned you know being a challenger brand being beaten up so there's allegations out there which i think are on 35 odd bikes out of the 2000 odd that you sell a year do you want to talk through some of those challenges there because that sounds like something that's now you're just put in a position where you've got to defend yourself well, for sure. And I appreciate you bringing it up because if you Google my name, Wikipedia won't come up first. <laughs> um, kind of broke the internet in July. And it's extremely intimidating to have people make legal allegations. And as you could imagine, I have an extremely passionate opinion for you that I'm not allowed to give you at the moment. So my answer is probably pretty vanilla, but we are in a position where if you Google us and you know, do it, it'll be entertaining for you. It's really challenging. It's really intimidating. It tears everything you've ever worked for your credibility your family we've been under attack seriously and it's extremely intimidating and i can't i can't put words on how much that affects you it tears all your ego out of it it tears all your personal attachment to this out of it and it's all part of our journey i suppose it's we just have to wait to go and defend ourselves and in the meantime just you know keep being us i think that's the number one thing that we're trying to be at the moment is you know, people have shared in our success and we've shared our story when things have been going really well and right now are under fire and we're walking through fire. So I think it's important for us to let you guys watch us do that. And we are vulnerable. We're beat up. We've been challenged, but we have to just go through the process. And, you know, for you guys, obviously we deny any charges that have been made against us and we just have to trust a legal system to let that play its role. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's probably slower than probably what you'd like it to be, but um, yeah. Oh, it is. And it's so many lessons that you learn out of that, that back of managing your emotions and being attached to an outcome and being derailed on your plan. And again, it's really intimidating. And I think that uh, it'll be a great story in a year or so yeah. when we can tell it more. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a story when Richard Branson was starting out in British Airways, they were cutting him out of him being able to land at Heathrow. And I don't know, just when I heard that story come out, that's what I was thinking about. So I might get back to something a bit more positive, which is if you could share an inspirational quote, if you've you've got one. You uh, kind of asked me this beforehand and I was like, far out, I could. I I love quotes and I think it's really powerful. But one that really just came to me the last few days, it's been, I was trying to think like, how can I just not share a, you know, a flash business quote for you guys, but something that probably 
you know, is relevant to what we're going through at the moment and our challenges and our business and our growth aspiration. And it's not really a business quote, it's something in, in Proverbs and it says, guard the heart because it's the well of life. And I think it's so true, like guard your heart, your spirit, who you are, because everything in life flows from that. And it's so easy to forget that when we're in a business environment, like we're chasing numbers, we're chasing material success, we're chasing transactions. And I think that it's important to remember that there's nothing more powerful than a kind, generous, happy, peaceful, wealthy person. And you've got to guard your spirit and your heart when you go through this business journey and this aspirational journey, because it's easy to forget why we do this. All right. Thanks for that. And just also another another recommendation of a book. Besides yourself, I'll link to Brad's book, which is Derb It Up, and I've recommended it because I've read it myself. But is there another book that's had an impact on you that, you know, people's that are aspirational, that are in this room and listening in, you yeah. recommend? I honestly couldn't cut it down to one, so I'm going to give you three. I don't know if that's breaking the rules <laughs> here. <laughs> Number one is The Game of Life and How to Play It, but you need to read it yourself. It's not so businessy. The ones that you guys will probably get a bit high on is Think and Grow Rich. And I love Napoleon Hill. I think that book's an amazing and so once a year type book. You got to continually read it and you get something different from it. And, and you know, what a man, like what a story, what a book. And number three would be good to great. Like, you know, he's, he's awesome. The stuff that he teaches and that book has really been for hard skills. One of my favorite. And I think everyone should get to know that book real good. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. All right. Three books. I like it. Three for the price of one. Yeah. (laughs) I've actually heard of all these three but haven't read them myself. And I'll I'll put links to these books back up on the website with the show notes. Okay. So because we're live here at Melbourne Business School and because we've got the opportunity, I'm just going to open it up to the audience to see if we've got any questions for Brad. Uh So we've we've got Matthew from Telstra. Hey, Matt. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been plenty of times when our momentum has just been smacked around. And I think that happens to everyone. I don't think that's something that's just us. But I always come back to vision overcomes challenge. Like, well, no matter what your challenge, you've got to outvision your challenge. And of course, with vision comes action. But I just love that. You know, you've got to, got to have a better strategy, a better vision for yourself, for your people, for your customers to cling to and, and want to be a part of. And that's always got us back on track. And, you know, even now you can see that we're trying to practice what we preach. We've got an electric bike coming out. We're trying to really change the game and, you know, be outrageous in our next step and change it. Like, you know, go big. Go big or go home. I was going to say that. (laughs) Great. Okay. So another question from the audience. Do we have any questions for Brad? Yes. Rob, isn't it? Oh, thank you. I'll just repeat the question for the mic. So the question was, did you have a backup plan and do you think it's important for entrepreneurs to have a backup plan? I don't know what they teach at school. I've never been to business school, but I don't believe in backup plans. I think go for it with everything you got. You should verify your plan. You should test your plan. You should measure your plan, but you should fully go for it. 
the plans that I've seen fail and the people that I've seen fail, it's significantly more likely to fail by tipping your toe in the water. We're entrepreneurs. We're trying to create something that's not yet real. So of course, if you just try it, you're going to fail, in my opinion. So the question for me always comes back to how do we verify our vision's real and how do we test and measure that until we get it right? And I'm a big believer in trying to take away your risk, both financially and emotionally and time-wise, but you know, you're either in or you're out. There's there's no black and white in my opinion. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. I love that. <laughs> okay. We got another question from the audience. Ah, hey Rich. Episode two, isn't it? <laughs> Number formerly two. known as formerly known as the triple threat. Where do you see yourself in five years time? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, good question. I mean, I feel like I've always said that I want to use my 20s to get commercially set up so I can turn my focus to contribution. And that was awesome when I'm 21, but at 29 and a half, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. So that's my plan. I want to build a business that can you know, make a difference, sow seeds of wealth. I want to help other people that have been through the challenges that we go through. I want my story to be testimony. I want to, you know, I don't want to be a theory-based person. I want to be someone who's walked through the fire and come out the other side successfully. And, you know, we're getting there. We're close to that, you know. So that's kind of the plan, like make sure we're seriously commercially successful so we can switch the focus to contribution. Yeah, and did you want to talk, not sure, I hope I got my research right, but something about football in South America sparking some stories, other stories of contribution? I mean, that was a cool thing we did. It's just, uh, that's like a, you know, it's a cool thing we did with through Tony Robbins. Robbins took us to Hebron, so we went to Israel, Egypt, and when we were there, we went to Hebron, which was the most volatile place in the world at the time. We took bulletproof buses, and we had one bus full of people and one spare bus, thank God, because the bus broke down, and it'd probably still be there if we didn't have the spare bus. But we all had to donate, I think it was 15 or 20 grand, and there was a group of like 50 or 60 of us to support a charity over there that are creating soccer clubs and soccer fields, which if you live in that area, there's such religious tension and racial tension that you know little johnny you know is worried about getting killed on the way to school and he would not associate to the to the opposition but you get him on the soccer field and all of a sudden you know the soccer ball becomes the thing that brings them together and then after a while this program started to see the different religious groups and racial groups come together and play soccer and because little johnny and the kids are playing the parents start to have to associate together and that program you know, I don't run it or have nothing to do with that. I just contributed to it once and went there and saw it. And it's an amazing thing. Fantastic. Okay. So any other questions? Yep. Michael Chindara from Australia Post. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, so I'll just repeat the question. So, yeah, your, your team, you mentioned you've got 35 people. How do you build that culture and make sure you're surrounding yourself by the right people? I hope I'll summarize that. Uh. Well, you know, it's an interesting question. Number one, like the people that surround you, you can definitely choose. I love what you said at the start. You're the average of the five people you spend time with. And if you take that seriously, like, like really seriously, you can choose who you spend time with and you've got to be deliberate about who you approach. And, you know, it's like getting me on this show. You called, emailed, social media, like, oh, coming on the show. I was at your bedroom window. Uh, hey, come on. I, I didn't tell you where I live for a reason. <laughs> no, but... 
No, but jokes aside, it's serious. I think proximity is power and you've got to be unapologetic about who you want to spend time with and who you want to learn. And so for me, that's been real. That's I always have my proximity list. Who are the people I've got to go to dinner with or have a coffee with this month or go play golf with or take riding or whatever it is to get around these people. I want to see the real version, not the publicized version. So that's important for me. Number two is like your team. That's more difficult for me to answer and especially for us in that we've been a business that's been highly successful and won at really significant levels and then we've been punched in the face and beat up at really significant levels and it's like a professionally managed you know professional sports team like when you're winning I wouldn't ask the coach of the winning footy team about their culture when they're winning I want to hear about it when they're getting their butts kicked and they can't win and they can't win for week after week after week because that's when you learn how to build a culture and there's nothing flash about that it's I think it comes back to vision I think it comes back to making sure you've got a plan I think it comes back to making sure that you're unapologetic about going on that plan and again you're either with us or you're against us there, there is no coasting you're literally with us or against us and for me culture is more about guarding it than creating it. And what I mean by that is that it only takes one bad apple to create a big problem. And we could sit here all day and talk about how to find good people and values and mission and vision and stuff. But at the end of the day, if you just spend your time guarding the culture and you know keeping the bad apples out of it, I think that that's probably the most powerful thing you could do. Yeah, great. Okay, so we'll probably take one more question if anyone's got a burning question. Laura Love. Yes, I'll just, I know you're, you're like ready to go. So, so where do you draw your inspiration from? That's a really interesting question. Like daily, like where do I draw it from? Like I feel like I've been so guided to get to this point that, you know, it, it's my path. Like I feel like this is who I am. This is what I'm meant to do. I feel like my business and my commercial side of my life is my opportunity to sow seeds of wealth into good things. And that's what I feel really drawn to do. So I got to get good so I can do that. Um, so that's number one. Number two, it's my family. Like my parents have sacrificed so much like everything to allow me to do what I do. And so is my sister. I mean, I grew up racing motocross, which means you're in a different part of the state or country every weekend trying to ride dirt bikes just for fun, really. Like, you know, you might get a medal, but who cares? And, you know, they sacrificed everything so I could try and become who I wanted to become. And I feel a big debt in that. I want to make sure that it's worth it for them. And, you know, I feel like it will be. I feel like maybe it has been, but right now they're probably tired. (laughs) So I just want to fulfill the vision that we've got, which I said before, I wanted to make sure that in my 20s, I can really succeed commercially. So in my 30s and later on, we can focus on contribution. And I think that vision is worth getting up for every day. Fantastic. Okay, well, I think we'll call it there. So, yeah, hop online and also subscribe, rate, and review if you like what you've heard today. Brad, thanks for coming on. I know you're the most booked speaker on the Australian speaker circuit last year. So, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story with the guys here at Melbourne Business School and sort of the listeners as well. So, thank you very much for a great show. Oh, thank you guys for having me and thank you for having me along. And before I go, I thought it would be really unentrepreneurial for me to come here without an offer for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Oprah Winfrey show. (laughs) Everyone doesn't get a free bike. (laughs) 
But if you give me your credit card, you can leave with a bike. Now, there's two things I thought we would talk about. Firstly, you know, we're really passionate about getting people riding. So if you're interested in the ride to work or if you want to get your young people, your family into riding and recreational, I would love to offer you guys a $500, you know, rebate or discount off the bikes. But you got to do it this week. So just get on our website or whatever and say you're on the mentor list. And the second thing is as well, you know, I'm a part of the Academy of Growth, which is something I'm really passionate about. I feel like could be my transition step over the next 10 or 15 years into, you know, helping other business people. Again, everything I learned came from people sharing their stories. And that's why I do this type of thing. I think it's so powerful for us to be real, to be vulnerable and share the authentic story rather than the highlight reel. And the Academy of Growth is something I've been engaged to be a part of. And really, it comes back to making sure you've got third party independent people on your team. And, you know, the flagship product has been unpublicized forever and you can't get on it at an advisory board program and it's 50 grand and you get to spend four days with us and you get coaching in between from the coaches but we've just opened that up to a workshop type thing as well where we teach all the same principles strategies and values around how do you develop and drive your company as a professionally managed company with a measurable strategic verified and third-party growth plan and how do you make sure that you're getting educated and you're getting ripped apart by people who are not your family not your friends not your staff we don't love you we care for you but we're going to tell you the truth do you know what i mean where your friends your family your staff are going to normally bend the truth and i think it's fascinating that every single one of the top 500 companies in the world like everyone we would aspire to be like here has a third party independent board but you know most of the small businesses i know don't have that and there can only be two reasons and one is they don't know, like asleep at the wheel, or the other is that they can't afford it. And that's what we've tried to create at the Academy of Growth. And so what I'm trying to get to is I'd love to invite you guys. I think we've got one seat to give away to come yep. along to the workshop. So hashtag mentalist on the socials and we'll, we'll find you and we will offer you. Yeah, exactly. And okay. the workshop thing, the guys have offered a discount. I actually can't remember what it was, but you can get in touch with them and you can effectively come along and hear what we've got to say. And, you know, if it's a match, awesome. If not, thanks for coming. Kind of. Yeah. So. And I'll put the links to the website so you can check that out. Yeah, forward slash Brad. So that'll be up there very soon. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me. All right. Thanks, everyone. What a great episode. Thanks for listening in today. I hope you really enjoyed it. So many offers that came out in the show. We had a $500 discount for bra motorcycles <laughs> when you mentioned the mentalist name. So this is valid until the 14th of December. It's also coaching sessions offered up by Richard Everett, our triple threat or episode two mentor. Also hop online at mentorlist.com.au forward slash store. You can take a look at the Mentalist suite of products, whether you're looking to double your reading speed or get really great content books delivered to you monthly or quarterly. Also, if you want to help the show, jump on iTunes, subscribe, rate and review. This action just helps the algorithm and the internal marketing with iTunes let the Mentalist reach many, many more people so they can get access to the show. Otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to take just a few seconds to leave a rating and comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.